From Relay FM, this is Flashback. This season, we're looking back at failed tech products to see what we can learn by studying their demises. My name is Stephen Hackett, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Quinn Nelson. Hi, Stephen. Hey, Quinn. Good week? Yeah, pretty good. Uh, I'm, I'm excited about this topic. It's good to talk to you. It's going to be a fun time for everybody. I am too. I, you know, the more we do this show, the more I learn about things I don't really know. That's good. And AOL Instant Messenger is very foreign to me, but I'll tell you what, I've done some reading. Have you, have you uh, purchased a B-Box yet? I have not purchased a B-Box. Mm. I would if they existed. There's none. We were talking in the Relay Slack and our friend Jason Snell had one for a long time. It's like, Jason. Can't believe he let go of it. Crazy guy. Oh, uh, you know, oh. he's, uh, he's not wired like us. <laughs> Meaning he's a normal person. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> All right, so we are talking about AOL Instant Messenger, which for oh, people boy. pretty much my age defined internet communications for a really long time. I graduated high school in 2004, and AIM was Whoa. just like, it's where it was at in high school and college. I was a little late to the game. I didn't have internet access at home in high school. We had like, do you remember Juno? It was like one of those like failed yeah, sure, like dial sure. deals. So I had a Juno email account, but it it really wasn't internet access. I was basically just email. And so I didn't have an AIM account until the fall of 2004 when I moved out. I lived on campus at the university I went to and, you know, signed up for an AIM account basically my first night in the dorm. And it was the way to communicate with people. Emails were too formal, right? Emails, what your parents used and what your professors used. And like, even then phone calls were intrusive, especially in college, right? You're in class all the time, you're sleeping or doing homework or whatever, and you could just aim somebody, and when they'd come back to their computer or when they'd open their laptop in the cafeteria or whatever, they'd just pick up the conversation and they'd say, oh, I got to go to class, and they'd go offline again. I mean, for years, this is how I kept up with friends. Stephen, I I can't relate hardly at all. I, I'm a young man. I, uh, <laughs> I got my first phone, which was a Motorola Razor, uh, with SMS capabilities when I was in seventh grade, so I would have been... 13, right? Which is 2000, yeah, 2005, 2006. Yeah. I, and look, I feel like every elementary aged kid now has an iPhone, but I assure you, back in the day, I was pretty spoiled. Uh, I was one of my first friends that I was aware of to, to have a phone. And you had a really cool phone. The Razer was oh, baller. The coolest phone, the coolest phone. I actually downgraded kind of because uh, my dad was a huge tech guy and he switched to AT&T or Singular at the time for the iPhone, mm. the original iPhone in 2007. And we had previously been on Verizon. So I side graded or downgraded to a Nokia 6820 which probably means nothing to anyone, but it looked like just a generic candy bar phone, like a really ugly phone, but you could lift the keypad and it would turn into this weird like sidekick deal where there was a keyboard on each side. It split a keyboard and the screen was in the middle. It was very, very cool. And I used that phone up until I got my iPhone in uh, late 2007 that I purchased with my janitor job money. Anyway, we're getting really off track. What I'm saying here is that... (laughs) (laughs) SMS was primarily the way that I communicated with friends when I was, you know, you start talking to friends outside of school hours and stuff like that when you're, you know, 12, 13. And SMS was kind of my method. But there were a few years where because I was one of the few people that had a phone, I did communicate with internet messaging, but not via AIM for whatever reason. All of my friends that I knew used MSN. So I had an MSN account. Okay. But uh, AIM hardly knew it. I was trying to work out. So you were like eighth or ninth grade in 2007? Yeah. 
It's yeah. the year I got. That's the year I got married. <laughs> oh, hey, well, Why? you know, you know. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's too funny. So, aim and the difference between our age really isn't that great. We're kind of playing it up. Yeah, but. It is really fascinating because AIM just had this huge spike in popularity and then disappeared, which we're going to talk about. But first, we need to talk about AOL, everyone's favorite internet company. Of course. Look, AOL has a long and winding history that even if we had four hours, we couldn't cover. So we're just going to glaze over most of AOL's history. It's, uh, you know, part internet service provider via dial-up, part hosting provider, part media company, part education partner, part whatever else you could think of having to do with consumer data sources in the early days of the internet. Yeah, America Online, as it was formerly known, was the internet. To most consumers in the late 90s and early 2000s, in 1997, roughly half of the United States homes with internet access had it via AOL. So massive, massive provider. Crazy. Uh, Some people connected and never left AOL's own applications, but increasingly, People wanted to venture off into the wider World Wide Web. Mm. Mm. Get on the information superhighway. <laughs> exactly. That's as right. it were. <laughs> yeah, because really AOL was like a, I mean, you could get it on the internet, but it was really designed as like a walled garden, right? Its application basically had everything that you would want to do on the internet. So it had a search engine, yeah. provided headlines, sports, a lot of celebrity news and gossip, email services. And, of course, chat later on. But the idea was, like, you weren't getting on the internet. You were getting on AOL. Yeah, right. My my only relationship with AOL, honestly, is those CDs that I always saw at Blockbuster. And everyone had one of these CDs. They, were, they gave them out like candy, like parades. They'd toss them to the kids. My <laughs> My dad was a tech guy. And so... I asked him when prepping for this episode if he ever had AOL, and he said no. He he ended up getting DSL in 1995, really, really early on. So my relationship with dial-up is quite literally non-existent. But for a lot of people, it was very much there. And the idea of a chat program had its seeds in the early to mid-1990s when AOL was still charging at the time because dial-up, uh, they were charging by the hour to connect. And AOL CDs, like we had mentioned, were were free and they they were everywhere, but these free hours seemed to outnumber human beings. And there was this guy, Barry Appleman, that had come to AOL from IBM, where he worked on a little project known as TCP/IP. Just that, just like the building block of all networking. <laughs> yeah, just you know things we still use to this day. Yeah, that it's it's incredible. AOL had a bunch of information about its users, right? You logged into their service, but they some people in the company and we're getting to this. There's a lot of internal politics around instant messenger. But some people wanted a way to connect people with their friends, right? Everyone's on AOL in the evenings, and why can't we just talk to each other? So Appleman and others took this data and put together the buddy list, which showed a user all of their friends who were active on AOL at the same time. Kind of creepy, but kind of cool. (laughs) By 96. It's creepier now. I think in 96, I don't know if people had that sort of mentality yet. That's true. That's true. The the idea was fairly well-formed, but it really hadn't gained traction in 96. At the same time, AOL had just switched business models, which allowed members to, get this, pay a flat fee for unlimited internet connection time. 
wild concept, right? Paying by the hour sounds archaic now, but back then it was uh, pretty new. And mm-hmm. this pretty much set AOL's infrastructure on fire, as you can imagine, because everyone's dialing in and staying connected all the time, right? <laughs> I'm sure. In this turmoil, Eric Bosco joined AOL and joined the small group keeping the chat project alive. It's kind of a skunkworks deal. In their view, this could be a way to reach many, many more users than AOL's web portal ever could. Now you might think, well, why would you want to do that when you've just made it unlimited with a flat fee? But this is a goal this team had. So to get the service up and working, get this, they contacted a person who was in charge of one of AOL's data centers. They were supposed to send back some HP servers that were on a lease, right? So you use them for three years and you send them back. And the data center manager changed the paperwork to say that they were lost and then kept (laughs) them in the data center and let Bosco and Appleman and and these people run Instant Messenger on these servers that they told HP had basically been lost in the mail. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm no lawyer, but that doesn't sound very legal. It's a little sketchy. You know, it's like, <laughs> you could just you could just find servers, but they didn't have a budget, right? It's like, this is how you do it. Yeah, there you go. So the team started working on AOL, and when they showed off their work, management was very weary about adding kind of a chat service to their list of things to worry about keeping online because things were, you know, stuff was getting bogged up. And then there was the business model problem. The team that was working on AIM wanted it to be free. So not only did they want people to stay connected all the time, which was taxing on AOL's kind of business model, but they didn't want to charge for it, which was anti-AOL. So there's a bit of a conundrum here, right? Uh, So much so that when upper management got wind of it, they wanted to fire the people working on it. But eventually, like, cooler heads prevailed. And in 97, AOL very quietly announced AOL Instant Messenger, or AIM. It was free to use. So they got they got that. Yeah, um, and AOL both provided web access and a Windows application for people to connect and chat. That same year, AOL was awarded a patent carrying Appleman's name for his work on, quote, a user-definable online co-user list. Software patents are dumb. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, they really are. Uh, all <laughs> patents are kind of stupid, but we'll talk about that at Never, probably. It's very political. The rift between AIM and AOL itself was still present, with internal politics making improving the service difficult. Companies outside of AOL obviously disliked AIM as well. This is years before the bring-your-own-device movement, and corporate IT departments were not thrilled about consumer-grade software showing up on work PCs unsurprising, right? Yeah. (laughs) The fact that AIM had features to detect ports closed on corporate firewalls and scan for open ones to route traffic through didn't help. It was just (laughs) compounding security concerns. (laughs) Yeah. That's the early years of AIM. A little bit rough, but it made up for it, not in the corporate space, but in the consumer space in terms of its features, which were really pretty cool. Yeah. So much of what we think about as online chat today came from this. So, um, you know, it's easy to look back at AOL, American Online, as like this clear relic of a bygone era, right? Like web portals and dial-up, and it's all long gone. But AIM does hold a special place in a lot of people's hearts, uh, mainly due to its character and design and the ability to contact people instantly. I know that doesn't uh, affect you because, A, you're younger, and two, you don't have a heart. But if you did... You would you would see the the beauty in this, I think. Yeah, can't relate. Don't see the beauty. Just kidding. Let's let's talk <laughs> about the layout because it it is actually an interesting looking app, and I don't want to go too far out on a limb here, but I think that most chat services that exist now 
kind of take from design cues that AIM established, what, 25 years ago? Um, it, it changed a lot over the years, and things continued to evolve over the duration of AIM's lifetime because it was around for quite literally two decades. Um, but we'll talk about its, its kind of principal design that stayed until mostly its death. Uh, spoiler alert, AIM is dead. Uh, AIM's general design, I know, right? Sorry, I I hate to break it to you, but we'll talk about that later. AIM's general design was solidified by version 4, which was released clear back in 2001. When you opened the app, there was a little window that popped up, and you'd be prompted to sign in. Of course, if it was your computer, you could request that the app stay logged in. Uh, I don't believe that feature was present in version 1, but it did make its way to a pretty early version of AIM. And a window would open with your buddy list, which was kind of what we mentioned earlier. It was a little skinny window that had just a list of names, your friends that you could add by their screen name, uh, if you knew the screen name, or later on by searching through your Yahoo Mail, Hotmail, or Outlook contacts list. What were screen names, you ask? Uh, Well, it was just a way for users to identify you similar to a handle or or a username that we have today. Uh, Stephen, what was your AIM name? So I use ISMH on Twitter and other places. Uh, it is a shortened version of my AIM name, which was I and then SM Hackett for my first name, middle initial, and last name. And yes, the I's because I was a I'm Apple. Stephen Mr. Hackett? Yes, Mr. is my middle oh, name. Oh, it was for Apple. That's yeah, so what the I's from. Yeah. You fanboy. I know. <laughs> my MSN name, I didn't have a name name, obviously, was actually pretty subdued for the year. I feel like most people, and yours is too, I feel like most people were like, XX Slayer 964 XX, or you went with outrageous screen names, but mine was a very obvious Quinn Nelson underscore 428. Any any ideas what 428 means, Stephen? So your birthday? Yeah, April 28th. That's not not great internet security. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it was, well, we'll talk about it in a minute. AIM didn't have much to begin with, so it's, it's no big deal. <laughs> also, just missed your birthday. Happy birthday. Oh, hey, thanks. You know, it's another one uh, to add on to the to the books. We're all slowly dying. Anyway, uh, when you were inside of the app, <laughs> you had the ability to toggle a list setup, which allowed you to shift from your buddy list to this kind of section where you could organize your friends by category, which was nice, like mm-hmm. work, family, friends, et cetera, to keep everyone kind of yeah. organized, especially because um, while you could add kind of more uh, familiar names later on. Earlier versions of AIM, it was just their screen name. And so you kind of had to keep those in your brain, which, <laughs> which was a little uh, little difficult to do. So if you could organize them by category, that helped significantly. It was basically like a buddy list and you could you right. could categorize people, but like you could customize it, right? And the big thing when customizing was your away status. So right. go back to my use of it in college. You know, you're in your dorm, you're online, you're chatting with people, and then it's time to go to sleep. You would mark yourself as away, and you would make your away, you know, your away message a bunch of Z's because you were asleep. <laughs> or if you're at work, you'd be like, at work. Or if you're feeling moody, you would put the lyrics of a Death Cab song in it. I had a college experience like that. Yeah. And it, it became a way to identify yourself to your friends, and you kind of know what people were doing even when you weren't talking to them. And that was a really kind of groundbreaking idea in AIM. It actually got pretty advanced, too. There were even a few special characters that you could insert into your away message that would dynamically insert information like the time or screen name of your particular friend. So if I typed, hi, uh, percent sign N, I'm AFK. On your screen, that would read, hi, uh, ISM uh, Hackett, I am AFK. Pretty cool. It was cool. 
So it feels more, you know, tailored to like you. Like it's it's like the person is talking to me, even though they're they're not. <laughs> Customization though was king. Your profile was kind of an extension of yourself. You had the ability to. There was not just your away status, but there was kind of a, a profile page too. It was almost entirely text-based, but you could change some of the formatting and coloring of the text. You could insert little GIFs. It, it was very kind of uh, a good way to make your small account feel like yours. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I missed some of this. Um, I used iChat on the Mac, which we'll talk about in a little while. So some of this, a lot of this early stuff is on the web and in the Windows app. Like there wasn't even an official Mac app for a really long time. So Mac users, we got left out of some of this. Yeah, it was weird. And uh, you're one of the few people that can say I used iChat. Yeah, so as, as if kind of all of this wasn't neat enough, there were these things called buddy icons. Basically, it was a 100 pixel by 100 pixel GIF, uh, typically animated stick figures that you could set to express yourself to friends. And you could change them dynamically based on what you were doing. There was kind of even like a window that would keep track of the ones that you had. Eventually, there was the added functionality that allowed you to download custom buddy icons from the net or to make your own and then upload those to your profile. Uh, The most popular ones are available on a website dedicated to archiving these buddy icons. And let me tell you, uh, a lot of these have not aged well. <laughs> yeah, a significant number of them are really offensive. It's kind of like that late 90s, early 2000s kind of uh, rebellion stage that a lot of kids were in. And uh, yeah, some of these buddy icons are uh, oh, they're a little embarrassing. But yeah, you know, for everybody list, you could click the name of a friend and a separate chat window would open up that allowed you to send messages to and from friends. That part's pretty obvious. And that really, in a nutshell, is AIM's general layout. It's it's quite simple. Yeah, it was not a, a complex app, right? It was it was far from something like Slack or Discord, where you have multiple channels and rooms, that sort of thing. It was very basic. Um, you could do group chats and, and things, but very, very simple. Yeah. But one thing I think AIM did really well is the way that it presented itself and marketed itself. So everyone remembers, at least most people remember, the yellow Running Man logo. AOL itself kind of adopted it, but it started with AIM. It was designed by uh, Jaron Lazaro. It was a stick man-like figure. It appeared all over the software and the marketing materials. And the Windows app was littered with sound effects for a bunch of different actions. So (laughs) when friends logged on or offline, when you sent or receive messages, et cetera, et cetera. And I'll play some of these here so you can hear them, and it'll it'll bring you back, I think. Those are pretty good. I mean... Some of them are pretty bad, but I, I really like this one, the famous one. Mm-hmm. Play it again. Yeah, that's a that's a good that's a good sound. I like that. That's the one. Uh, I found it while we were uh, speaking. I'm going to text you my. Uh, this was the buddy photo I used most of the time. I'll send it to you. I'll put it in the show notes too. It's very emo because that's what you did. <laughs> That's that's what everyone did back in the 2000s. Oddly, I have the exact same haircut today because I haven't gotten a haircut oh, in some man. time. That's amazing. And terrible all at the same time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That'll be in the show notes. 
Yeah, that's <laughs> great. That's great. <laughs> if you want to see that. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. I do have to say their branding was really good. I mean, you look at something like MSN. It had those like two generic blob people that were slightly different shades of blue. It just didn't have the same kind of pull that that AIM had, which is, I mean, you got to you gotta give them credit where credit's due. They did a good job on that front. AOL had a bunch of money. They could do this, and, and AIM got a little piece of that. So Yeah. They didn't, however, spend money on security. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about privacy. So unlike other messaging services of the era or like a lot of things today, AIM did not require approval for others to add you to their buddy list. So all you had to know was somebody's screen name, and they could see if you were online, see your away messages via your profile. Uh, it's creepy. Now, you could block yeah. people okay. if you knew their screen name, but <laughs> if someone was just lurking, uh, you didn't know they were there watching, which is... Ugh. To make matters worse, if you discovered the screen name of, person, of a person who was kind of bugging you or harassing you, you could block them, but nothing prevented them from just making a new account and viewing your profile yet again as a perfect stranger. Ugh, yikes. Yeah, it's a different time, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So privacy wasn't that important, but luckily they cared a lot about security. Uh, that was a joke. We talked about earlier how that was a, a bit of a problem. They did have AIM for Enterprise, which fixed a lot of these issues. But as the service and platform aged, some of the stuff that might have been forgivable in the late 90s because the internet was a wild west and things were new, they just didn't ever fix. Uh, AIM adopted or failed to adopt basic security standards and norms. In in 2014, the EFF gave AIM a, are you ready for this? A mm-hmm. one out of seven on their secure messaging scorecard. <laughs> the service lacked end-to-end encryption, forward secrecy, closed source code. Uh, I, I didn't, it didn't lack closed source code. The code was closed source. And the security design wasn't documented apparently at all, <laughs> which is not good. And there hadn't even been a recent independent security audit. So not looking too good. Granted, AIM wasn't alone in scoring such a low score as BlackBerry Messenger, Kick, Skype, uh, which we're using right now. Viber and Yahoo Messenger also scored one of seven points. That's maybe wow. a little, I mean, that's bad. Don't get me wrong. But AIM was in such a state of disrepair by 2014 when this survey was kind of conducted that uh, you can maybe give them a little bit of slack. Yeah. Maybe not, but yeah, that was reality. Not great. All right, let's take a break and talk about our sponsor. How does that sound? That sounds amazing. This episode of Flashback is brought to you by Text Expander from our friends over at Smile. Your time is valuable, so don't waste it typing the same things over and over. You can create snippets in Text Expander, and using a quick search or an abbreviation, expand those snippets into text, forms of fill-in fields, all sorts of things, phone numbers, email addresses, anything you type more than once, Text Expander can automate that for you. And it works on all of your computers, so you can expand snippets if you're at home, or if you're in the office, or if you're somewhere in between, because it runs on just about everything. If you want to learn more about Text Expander, they have these, these great webinars on their site each month. You can sign up for beginner, advanced, or team webinars about boosting your productivity at textexpander.com slash webinar. Text Expander is one of those utilities that I don't even think about it being a third-party utility because it's one of the first things I install on any computer. I rely on it literally hundreds of times a day. I was actually opening my uh, Text Expander window here, and in the preferences, there is a whole bunch of great things you can set. So you can have uh, different appearances. You can you can have 
uh, different options set up. So if you have like double capitals, you want to capitalize new sentences, you can really customize it to, to what you need. And I absolutely love that about it. Text Expander is available for macOS, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad, and Flashback listeners will get 20% off their first year. Just go to textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more. It'll boost your productivity, so check it out today. Textexpander.com slash podcast for 20% off. Our thanks to Text Expander for their support of this show and Relay FM. Thank you, Text Expander. I can't live without Text Expander. I echo those same sentiments. It is just such a great app. Let's talk about the popularity and extensions of AOL, shall we? AIM was built atop AOL's secret, not, not really secret, but it was a closed source, like you said earlier, the OSCAR protocol. Hmm. This stands for Open System. It wasn't open. Uh, for Communication in Real Time. That's a mm, NASA abbreviation. That's, it's not... Mm. Using the C and the A from communication? Come yeah, on. Yeah, that's bad. That's like, we want it to sound like Oscar. How do we make it sound like it's yes. when you decide on the acronym before you decide what it's, it's going to yeah, be? A backronym. <laughs> backronym. There, you go. there you go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yikes. Okay, mm-hmm. not a good name, but what did it do? It did, uh, it did secret things because they oh. worked really hard to keep the code base private, to keep oh. other companies from integrating with their platform. They wanted to control the whole stack, right? It wasn't an open protocol like SMS. Right, which is sure. kind of open, is really controlled by a bunch of carriers. But you know what I'm saying? Like it, yeah, it was yeah. not the open web. This was something AOL controlled. But a big break in this policy came in 2002 when America Online signed a deal with this little computer upstart called Apple. This agreement brought AIM support to the Mac through an application called iChat that yes. uh, came with macOS 10, uh, 10.2 Jaguar. AIM users could simply log into the new application and start chatting. And .Mac customers, which basically was the, uh, the what do you call it? the precursor to MobileMe, which was the precursor to iCloud. We're going way back here. So .Mac customers could use their existing .Mac logins to join AIM. It was a big deal, man. It was a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to read a little bit uh, from Apple's press release about this. Sure. iChat's innovative use of Aqua, which is the interface for Mac OS X. It delivers a great new user experience for instant messaging. iChat uses, quote, dialogue bubbles and buddy photos to present instant mm. messages in a graphically conversational manner iChat invitations pop up on the screen in a simple and non-intrusive way using transparency and animation effects. Here's the thing about this. iChat kind of still lives on. So if you use uh, iMessage on the Mac today, it sort of inhabits the corpse of the iChat application. And Apple really did bring a lot of uh, really cool ideas to, to instant messenger chat. So they were the fir- one of the first, not the first, but one of the first to have tabbed chat. So you could, just like an iMessage today on the Mac, you have, you know, 400 threads going. Oh, sure. iChat uh, helped yeah. popularize that. Even though it kind of is still here, messages does lack some of the features iChat had. iChat would let you customize colors and there was a universal hotkey to bring it to the foreground. You could auto-reply to messages uh, you could be notified if someone mentioned your name in group threads, which I wish iMessage would do. That's really, uh, really helpful. I think we all have those chatty group threads that we keep muted. But it was cool. iChat really was a big deal, and I used it for for years. Yeah, it's it's great. I 
never really used iChat, but uh, I, I certainly had played around with it and, and poked in around there. One thing that's kind of weird about AIM and its Mac support was that was the official channel by which uh, AIM was supported on the Mac, but they did offer kind of very spotty first-party client support. Uh, we mentioned, and you mentioned, that it, it didn't come until really late. The first real AIM Mac app came in 2008, but there was actually a, a version released in 2001 that was compatible with classic Mac OS, which is really surprising. And then there was another version released in 2004 that added some of the functionality that iChat was missing because it just didn't integrate all of AIM's features. But it sounds like most Mac owners preferred to use iChat because it was, you know, Apple's app. It was well-developed. And the AIM app in most instances, uh, well, it wasn't. <laughs> this is a time where Mac users... OS 10 users in particular wanted apps that felt like OS 10 and AIM never really uh, never really mm-hmm. crossed that that line. So this is a big deal, not just because we're Mac users, but because it was the first time AIM really partnered with another company. So a few years before this in 99, your beloved MSN Messenger shipped and it had the ability to communicate with AIM accounts. They had reverse engineered enough of Oscar to make this work. Right. And uh, basically, there a war broke out of cat and mouse. So, AIM would change something, and MS Metro would have an update to patch it, and it would work again, and then it would break, and it would work again. Uh, there were some <laughs> like seventeen versions I read of MSN Messenger before Microsoft finally uh, backed off. That is too funny. Uh, well, kudos to Microsoft's engineers for putting up with it for all that time. Yeah, you know, it was kind of just a mess on on both sides. And the partnership with Apple did kind of solidify its partnership with an operating system. But uh, it really found its popularity here in the United States. It was just way higher market share uh, in the U.S. than elsewhere. In 2006, it held, uh, AIM held 52% of the market for instant uh, messaging software in the United States, which is it is shockingly high, really, really good, mm-hmm. even with a lot of really good alternatives like MSN we mentioned. Uh, to bolster this, uh, AOL had acquired ICQ back in 1998. But like you said, MSN Messenger and even things like IRC remained popular, not just in the U.S., but s- yeah. specifically in non-U.S. countries. MSN Messenger and these other platforms were way more popular than AIM in places like Europe and, and South America and, and Asia. And I think par- I wonder what part of that was that it was America Online, and they, AIM really worked hard to ditch the American part of its name and just be AIM. But I've always wondered that if that brandy kind of did them in. I am. They just dropped the A. Instant messaging. <laughs> yeah, so AIM, uh, what do you do when you're the market leader? Well, you abuse your power as the most popular client. Uh, eventually, AIM was monetized with ads inside of the official application. <laughs> But this did not take off. As you can imagine, users disliked the inclusion of ads, and advertisers never jumped on board, perhaps because of the hostility that would be associated with your brand by doing so, and uh, probably also because of the program's younger demographic. Uh, You only had to be 13 years old to sign up for an AIM account, and while I don't know exact statistics, I wouldn't be surprised if most users were under the age of, you know, what, 20 or 30. It was very popular amongst teens. And so not high advertising dollars go to those markets necessarily. Yeah, exactly. So th- this wasn't a um, a big success. And coupled with users reverse engineering Oscar just all over the place, AOL just couldn't keep up. Uh, a, a flood of third-party AIM clients uh, showed up Often these applications allowed users to connect to AIM, Yahoo, MSN, and more 
all within one program. And one of these that, that I think you and I both remember and love is Adium, which ran on the Mac. Yeah. And it was super customizable. So I use iChat most of the time, but I, I use Adium some too. And uh, I have a, um, I can't share the picture, but I have a picture of uh, uh, my laptop in college. And in my buddy list, it's like everyone logged in was in like a green background and people who were idle were yellow and people who were way were red, like mm-hmm. a stoplight running down the side <laughs> of the screen in my power book. Cause you could just customize it to kingdom come well, well beyond any other application that I ever used to connect to, to aim. It was really a, a fun time to sort of explore those sorts of things. Yeah, I, I used ADM all the time too. MSN's apps, honestly, were quite good for the Mac, but there were a, a couple of years where the apps had gotten slow and didn't have feature parity with stuff on Windows, and so you were already missing out on some of the functionality, and the apps just felt more dated. So I actually switched to ADM to use MSN as well as IRC, which was supported, and uh, it was awesome. One of my favorite things was that you had the ability to have add-ons or extras. And one of the most popular ones was a sound pack called uh, Tokyo Train Station. I'm not even joking with you, Stephen. I still use to this day in 2020, this sound pack on my iPhone for notifications <laughs> and ringtones. <laughs> it's like a you download the files and I think they were made in 2004. So there's 16 year old files, but they are still my favorite text tone sounds. They're just so soothing and nice. Let's play a couple of them. Oh, that was just, man, it feels nice to get a text message when that comes in. That's really nice. Okay, I've, da- I've downloaded this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play with this. You really have to. Yeah, yeah, it's a good time. You have to use some... Uh, semi-janky software to get it synced with your iPhone in 2020. But, you know, uh, whatever. <laughs> so that brings us to the the mobile era. When the iOS App Store launched in 2008, mm. AOL shipped an iPhone app for AIM. But remember, early versions of iOS ship without features like multitasking or push notifications. So the experience we had in instant messaging on the desktop, right. being on mobile was a far cry from that, right? It's, it's hardly instant. You have to open the app and see what's happening. Not so instant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To make matters even kind of worse, uh, SMS by around 2008 had kind of become, at least in the United States, very, very common. We know in international markets, uh, text messaging never really picked up steam. But here in the US, it, it really did. AIM did eventually fix a lot of their problems they had with the iPhone app. In fact, late versions, I, I frequently remember vividly in my memory thinking, who uses AIM? Because I would scroll through the app store and it would always be in the top charts. And it was surprisingly one of the highest rated messaging apps available for iPhone. People loved AIM. (laughs) And I think they really did make the app good uh, later on. But this weird kind of initial iOS support not being very good. And then the fact that there was basically no good Mac app, even late into kind of AIM's usage, was not great. When iChat finally kind of died and, and AIM's feature set had expanded so widely beyond what iChat was capable of, in 2008, AIM released an official client for macOS called uh, AIM 1.0, which is really weird because you had earlier versions that was uh, AIM for Mac version 4.5, AIM for Mac version 4.7, released in 2001 and 2004 respectively, and then a long hiatus where iChat was the norm, and then it came back with AIM (laughs) 1.0 in 2008 for Mac. Uh, And it was, uh, well, 
It was not a good app. I remember trying it and thinking, this is not what I want. <laughs> Install, uninstalled, goodbye. <laughs> yeah, and this really kind of it, it tells the story of, of what eventually becomes the fall of AIM. The last several years of the, the chat service, man, it just really fell apart the last almost decade of its life. It did. So over time, members of the AIM team realized that their product was starting to lose ground to other platforms, things like we talked about, MSN, but definitely here in the the States, SMS. The team ended up trying a bunch of different things. We talked about the Mac apps. They open sourced part of their Messenger app, getting it running on Linux, but it was was just too little too late, right? It was a losing game to, to the boon of smartphones. And yeah, uh, a lot of companies, you know, had been paying for the enterprise version of AIM, which I forgot existed until this research. They were moving on to to <laughs> Skype and, and Google Chat and those sorts of things. In December of 2010, AOL chat rooms were taken offline. This was kind of where AIM had started. You know, you could join a chat room about gaming and talk to your friends about gaming or talk to strangers about gaming. Mm-hmm. Those I remember mostly being just a cesspool. I imagine, but so. they were they were <laughs> taken offline in 2010. And by 2011, AIM had less than 1% market share worldwide for instant messaging. Uh, it was it was basically over. You know what? I, I don't really feel bad for AIM at all. AOL really blew it because, you know, it just didn't have the security or features of newer chat apps. It's not like, you know, there was some, you know, black swan that came out of nowhere and flipped them on their head. They had years to catch up and they just didn't. There are new apps that are successful. I mean, see Viber and WhatsApp and GroupMe. These are all apps that came into existence post-smartphone era that AIM probably could have capitalized on, but they just, they didn't. And I think part of that problem was the state of AOL as a company during this time. Um, AOL had been spun off from Time Warner in 2009, which AOL actually acquired in 2001. So it's weird. (laughs) AOL buys out Time Warner in 2001, and then it becomes Time Warner in 2009. That's why we skipped AOL's history, because it's impossible. Right. (laughs) It's very tricky to follow. Did Palm buy them at some point? <laughs> <laughs> Palm was definitely involved somehow. I don't know how, but definitely involved. And, uh, you know, AOL tried to become a media group during this time. They, they bought a bunch of internet properties, uh, media companies, ad networks, etc. In short, they didn't really have a vision, and they certainly didn't care about AIM. It wasn't, it wasn't a profit maker for them. It wasn't a priority for them. And as a result, it was neglected for years while its competitors just passed it up which is a shame because there was a lot of opportunity there. Yeah, I've often wondered what this would have been like if AIM had been independent and not on the the ship, the sinking ship of America online. I just We just don't know, right? Yeah. And I think that brings us to, to what we can learn because this is such a fascinating story. If AIM was so dominant for so long and then, and then evaporated over the course of, of really about three years— I think we can learn that nothing is too big to fail if they can't evolve. Yeah. We could still all yeah. be using it, but they couldn't evolve. They couldn't uh, compete with SMS. They couldn't do these other things. And the world has passed them by. And that's a real danger to tech companies. Yeah, I think the other thing that you have to keep in mind is, and this sounds very obvious on the offset, but it is a problem that a lot of companies make. If you're a market leader, it doesn't give you the excuse to suck. (laughs) Um, I mean, you look at their transition to iOS, for example, they moved really early on onto iOS as a platform, which on the offset sounds like a good idea, right? If you can be first, you can win. But the reality is, is that their execution and their implementation and their kind of embracing mobile was really 
poorly baked. You take Facebook as kind of an opposite example. Facebook took a terribly long time to land on mobile. Um, I remember even back in the early days of the iPhone, when the App Store was a thing, there were basically applications that were web wrappers. So it would load the mobile version of Facebook because there wasn't mm -hmm. a, a Facebook app available, certainly not Facebook Messenger and some of the other things that we use today. But when Facebook made the transition, they really made it in a big way. And it was polished from day one. That's not to say it was perfect. That's not to say there weren't problems. Um, the Android app is definitely ex excluded from this because it was an abomination forever. It still is. <laughs> but on iOS, it was it was really good from day one. And that kind of just further put the nail in the coffin for, for AIM that had done these crappy updates that were half-baked and not ready to rumble. Yeah, I think companies like Facebook can look to AIM for a lesson of what not to do. Because Facebook, yeah. in a way, was following down that path, right? Missing mobile, and then they, they realized what they were doing and made an about-face. And AOL Instant Messenger just never could. Too bad. So sad. Never used it. I don't really care. <laughs> well, I think that uh, means it's about time to log off from our conversation here. <laughs> if, if you want to find show notes, uh, there is a great article on Mashable that we referenced and used a lot of uh, in our research. That is in the show notes. Go check uh, all those links out. This week, they are at relay.fm slash flashback slash seven. While you're there, you can uh, send us an email with feedback or follow-up, uh, or you can find us uh, find us online. You can find me on Twitter as ISMH and my work at 512pixels.net. Quinn, where can people find you? People can find me on YouTube at youtube.com slash snazzy and on all the socials at snazzyq, except TikTok. I'm not on that yet. I'm too old. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Oh, well, what do you do? All right, Quinn. Well, uh, until next time, <laughs> let's uh, let's say goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. Adios.